I want us today to think together about the dangers of being spiritually lukewarm. Allowing our faith to to slip into neutral, to become comfortable in a comfort zone where faith is not required to be a part of our everyday existence. Getting so busy with life, so busy with its demands that we end up squeezing Jesus out of our schedule, out of our lives, out of our homes, even out of our church. I want to start with a word that Jesus had given on the occasion to a a group of people that were gathered around him, a a word about the divided heart. He was teaching a parable that talked about a farmer who goes out into his field and finds in that same field four kinds of of land. The seed falls on four different kinds of ground and three kinds of, of ground produce very little, if any, seed. But the last bit of ground gives a bumper crop. You know what? I forgot to let the kids go. If you're here and you need to go to Club J, you go. They're they're waiting for you, okay? Um, After the the teaching, the the disciples come to Jesus and and they said, what you did back there really bothers us. You, You give out a message in code and, and we don't get it. And how in the world does the audience that you're speaking to, how do they pick it up? And, and so he, he says and he teaches and, and, and he says, let me explain what I was saying. There, there are four kinds of soil and they represent various kinds of heart conditions or, or receptivity to what God is doing in people's lives. He said the first is hard ground and that's the territory where the truth doesn't sink in, doesn't cause transformation, and so Satan comes along and he steals that seed. Then, then there's the rocky ground, and, and it's like people who hear it and they're attracted to the message, but they don't do anything with it. The, the power of the message only lasts until something new captures their attention and they follow after that. The third kind of ground the third group of people have a lot going on in the garden of their mind. They, they, they have all sorts of distractions, all sorts of allegiances. And, and when the message of Jesus comes, they are interested and they receive the word, but it gets lost in the chaos and the busyness of all that's going on. And now I want you to listen carefully to this line that he gives. Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. The seed sown among thorns represents one who receives the message, but all of life's busy distractions, his heart is divided, and his ambition for wealth results in the suffocating, uh, in suffocating the kingdom message, and it becomes fruitless. A person receives the word. But because of all of the distractions that have divided his heart and his hunger for wealth results in the suffocation of the kingdom message, that power was meant to have in his life. God, I love you. I I, I want you. I want to 
you to look after me and take care of me, but right now my, my hands are full and my, my schedule is full and I can't get to everything. Can, can we meet at another time? Can, 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 when I'm not so busy, when, when the demands of life are a little less urgent than they are right now, it, it's just not a good time for me right now, can we meet later? And, and before you know it, Days have turned to weeks, and weeks have become months, and months grow into years and decades, and all of a sudden, we're at the end of our allotted time, and, and nothing of meaning or significance for the kingdom has happened in us or through us. Jesus, in that, that little parable and in that little explanation, is talking about individuals, Choices that are made in a divided heart that squeezes Jesus out of the picture. I, I have this annoying flower bed in front of our dining room window. I have, on several occasions, planted dozens of tulips in the bed in the fall, as they are one of Debbie's favorite flowers. Uh, on occasion, the gophers have missed a bulb or two, and they try to stick their heads through the, through the ground, and once they get the green part up, the gophers chew that down to nothing as well. However, even though I don't plant thorn seeds or weed seeds, I don't fertilize or water seeds, they grow with reckless abandon and take over that patch of ground with a fierce strength that I have never seen in a tulip bulb. Same is true with the thorns that are in our heart that steal and push out the, the message that Jesus Christ brings, a message that if fed, if attended to, could have revolutionized the arc of our life. I want you to go with me this morning to Revelation. It's an easy book to find. It's at the back of the Bible. I want you to go to Revelation chapter 3. Jesus goes to seven churches in chapters 2 and 3, and, and he, he gives them a report card. These, these seven churches are in modern-day Turkey, and, and he appears to the pastor in each one of them and does an analysis of how well they are doing in their faith and in their mission that God has given to them in the city where they live. Some are doing very well. Some need to make an adjustment or two, and, and this one that we're going to talk about needs a complete do-over. A complete do-over. The city is in a city that's called, or the church is in a city that's called Laodicea. And again, it's in Turkey. It's a prosperous city with, with strong leaders in every section of its economy and culture. Uh, it's a city that has two main industries. One is a clothing industry that's fed uh, by a, a large group of, of sheep that are in that area. The, the sheep in that area have a soft black wool and they're made into to garments and they're shipped and exported all over the world. There's also a thriving medical industry. 
There is in the center of the town an advanced eye clinic that, that has all sorts of salves and, and uh, works with all sorts of uh, situations that arise. But there's also a hot water mineral pool that's in town that, that people from around that area come and they soak in that pool, soak their aches and pains and find relief there. About 35 years before this report that Jesus gives to the church at Laodicea uh, is given, the the city has almost been completely destroyed by an earthquake. But because of their wealth, because of their ingenuity and industry, uh, there was no indication now, 35 years later, of, of any damage. But in fact, it was better, stronger, more beautiful as a city than it had ever been before. There was a great sense of of civic pride that was found in everything about that city. And in that city, there's a church. And now Jesus, dictating to the Apostle John, says, tell the pastor, tell the congregation in Laodicea that he has looked at and assessed that church, and this is what I've found. In each report that Jesus gives to each of the seven churches, he introduces himself according to God-given titles, to to God-given works that he does. He wants the church to know who he is and what he's doing and that that when he says something, it's accurate and, and an honest assessment of the situation that they're living in. He starts in Laodicea and he says, I have a title and it's this, I am the Amen. I have a God-given authority. When I speak, it is with insight. It is with authority. It doesn't have to be discussed. It doesn't have to be sent to a committee or to parliament to be passed. God hears what I says, and he says, Amen. Let this be done. God is sovereign, and he has passed that on to me, and what I say goes. All the promises of God find a yes Uh, in their fulfillment in me. I am the final word in all things. I have dominion authority, both now and through all of eternity. I am the amen. And then then he goes on and he says, I am the faithful and true witness. I've not been bought off by a, a special interest group. I have no axe to grind with anyone here. What I say is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I am not a man that I should lie. And finally, I'm the ruler of God's creation. What what God has created, I govern, I oversee. The law of gravity is in place and continues because of my governance. The length of your life, the succession of seasons, the ebb and flow of, of seas and history, it's all overseen by me, the ruler, the governor of God's creation. He says to the church, I want you to understand who it is who's speaking to you. I know what I see. I report the truth and the measurements that I use in the judgment of who you are and what you are doing are perfect and unimpeachable. There's no appeal process. You have reached the height of the highest level of governance. So now that we've looked at who I am, Jesus says, let's talk about where you're at. Verse 15, chapter 3. I'm fully informed and aware of all that you do. 
I have all the information. I have all the data. I I have church records. I have corporate and individual reports. I, I know not only what you talk about at your board meetings, but I also know the secrets of your hearts and have intimate knowledge of what you think when you're alone and in private. And this is my... This is my assessment. This is my assessment of the effectiveness as my representatives in the city of Laodicea. I know that you are a middle-of-the-road people. I know that you are neither frozen in apathy, nor are you fervent with passion. You've carved out a middle-of-the-road position, not radical, not extreme, just present. Hear me on this. I, I wish, Jesus says, I wish that you were either hot or cold. But, but you're neither. To the 21st century believer, that sounds like a good news report. Middle of the road, room for everyone, big tent policy, not radicalized or extremist in any measure or capacity. But Jesus says, from from my point of view, it would be easy to deal with red hot or ice cold, but that's not who you are. Verse 16 says, here's some more information. The current state of your spiritual condition is unacceptable. This this lukewarmness, it's not hot, it's not cold, it's lukewarm, and I need you to know it's not an option for me. I have enjoyed reading through the Passion Translation very much, but in this verse it it, it falls short. It, it, It uses this word, it says, you're lukewarm and I have to spit you out. And, and, and spit isn't strong enough. Spit can be done by some carefully and politely and without being noticed. But, but the original word here and, and the one that's translated in so many other translations uses the word vomit. I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. It's a reaction that's caused in a body when something that doesn't belong or something that is harmful is speedily and violently removed from the system. And Jesus says, there's something wrong and if it's not addressed, I will have to remove you violently. I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. The city of Laodicea is quite aware of the problem of being lukewarm. They don't have wells. They don't have a a lake where they are. It's a a warm, sunny location that has never had a minus 40 degree day like we do. the, The normal average temperature during the summer is 23 degrees. And so you need something cold, something refreshing in the summer. It's the city, as I told you, of the hot pools. Hot pools that were between 40 and 42 degrees in, in temperature. And, and so warm enough to take the aches out of bones and the pain out of muscles. However, the city had to have its water come through an aqueduct from several miles away. And it would travel through that aqueduct, and and it would be warmed by the ambient atmosphere. And when it arrived, it was tepid, lukewarm. 
It, it neither had a refreshing quality, nor did it have a healing quality. It, it had the ability to make you sick, make you dissatisfied and quite cranky. Your spiritual condition, Jesus says to the pastor and the congregation of that city, is abhorrent to me. If it's not remedied quickly, we will be parted. I will get rid of you because you were making me ill. That's a serious charge that you don't want to hear from Jesus about your life, about the way you're conducting yourself, about the church that you attend. But, but Jesus wants to make it clear why and how you've gotten to this point. As individuals and, and as a church body, you are very much lacking a true and accurate self-awareness. You think that you know who you are. You think you know what you're doing, but you're wrong. This is really who you are and where you're at. Verse 17, you, you constantly claim that you're rich and getting richer that you have everything that you need, that you're strong, that you're powerful, that you're self-reliant, that you're making a difference in the world that you live in. That's what you think. But I have this information for you, Jesus says. You are cluelessly unaware. In the things that matter, in the issues that have eternal value and meaning, I want you to know you are miserable. You are poor. You are blind. You are barren. You are naked. It's a very difficult message to hear. And the tone is important. And, and we'll get to the tone in just a moment. But please do not hear an angry, vengeful rant that's about to destroy people coming out of the voice of Jesus. That's not the tone that Jesus has here. Jesus is needing to get a, get a hold of the attention of a self-satisfied, comfortable, compromised people who have been deceived to believe that they have and that they are something that they're not. He, he doesn't beat around the bush, but he gets right to the point. You think you have it all, but you're destitute. You, you think you have good insight into what's going on and, and, and into the meaning of life, but you're blind. You don't see it all. You think you're doing good work here, but you've produced nothing that will stand the inspection of heaven's test. You, you, you think that you're like models in the latest of your city's fashion and you're unaware that you stand naked in the public square. I need you to wake up to a reality, Jesus says to the Laodicean church. I, I think the most telling sign is a picture that Jesus paints in, in verse 20. We're, we're familiar with the statement and we use it to, to talk to people about their need for salvation. However, in, in its context, Jesus isn't speaking to people who don't know him. He's speaking to his church in the city of Laodicea. And he says, I'm standing outside the door of your church, knocking on the door, begging to be let in. He's speaking to the church. However, it's Jesus at the door and nobody's answering. Three things, three important things that are happening. Jesus says, 
you're not even aware that my power and my presence is absence in your, absent in your gathering. You think that I'm on the inside, but I'm not. I, you don't even know that I'm missing. That's disturbing. Number two, I'm knocking, 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 and, and ready to come in and ready to fix, heal, and restore, but, but you're not responding. You're not hearing. You're so busy, so committed to the distractions that you don't even notice that the head of the church has not been included and is, and, and is missing and attempting to gain access, but nobody is opening the door to me. And number three, the door only has a handle on the inside, not on the outside. It has to be your decision to, to allow me in, and to this moment, you have decided that I shouldn't be in. That's how blind you are. Jesus, the Savior of your soul, the head of the church, is locked out, and you're not rushing to the door to let him in. Poor, blind, miserable, barren, naked, and you don't even know it. Do you see the problem? It doesn't matter whose flag we fly under or the tenets of faith that we adhere to. If, if Jesus is not the head of all that we do, if he's not the center of how we live and how we think and how we conduct ourselves, we do not deserve to be called the church. Because the church is his. If he is locked out, it is not the church. It's a social club. It's a service organization. It's a watering hole. But it's not the church. The problem is enlisted so clearly. Now let's talk about the fix, Jesus says in verse 16. First of all, you need to quit using the world's measurements to guide and determine your direction and behavior. Forget about the gold coins that you can get at the bank of Laodicea and get into the economy of God's kingdom. Forget about climbing the corporate ladder and know this. If you seek first the kingdom of God, all of the rest of life's needs and difficulties will be taken care of. Get in the right economy. Second, you're so proud of the, the black woolen garments that, you, that are made in your city that you wear with such pride. The clothing that makes you fit in. That makes you look like you're the cool kid in town. Forget that. Get dressed in white. Stand out as a people who honor God in the way that they live and conduct themselves. Distinguish yourself as people who obey God by the way that they speak to others. The, the honesty that marks the way that we conduct our business. The extra effort that you exercise in doing what is right in the eyes of God and not what is culturally acceptable in the city that you live in. You are living in that world, but you are not governed. You're not to be shaped by that world. You are to be standout advertisement of who God is and what God is doing in your life. Third, you have a problem with your eyes. It's not a physical problem that you can go to the clinic that's downtown in your city to get it rectified. You, you need to get into the Word. You, you, you need to get into the Word. 
You need to allow the Holy Spirit to adjust your values, your, your perceptions, your behavior. You need to be transformed in the way that you think, the way that you see life. You need to submit yourself to a radical spiritual surgery that will alter the way that you live and perceive who you are and why you are here. You need your eyes attended to. I said earlier that I want you to hear the voice and the, the tone that Jesus uses. I, I, I want to go back to that tone. There's a very disturbing trend in our world today. And, and I'm sorry to say it leaks into the church. And I'm even more sorry to say that it can be found leaking into my life from time to time. And maybe it leaks into yours. It, it's the attitude that no one has the right, no one has the ability to speak a word of correction to me. No one has the right to challenge me, to correct me. I'm a free agent. I believe what I believe. I, I determine my own steps, and if that's okay with me, that's okay, period. Jesus is speaking here, and he says this in verse 19, I love you, and if I love you, then I have the ability, I have the duty to correct you. Jesus speaking to me, Jesus speaking to, to you today, all those I dearly love, I unmask, I, I train them, I'll take off the blinders that have led them to the mess that they're in now, and I will train you in my ways so that you don't end up here again. And I do that because I love you too much to let you waste your life, to allow you to show up in front of God on judgment without an excuse and without an offering. I correct you because I love you, period. A sign that we're in trouble is when there is no one who we see as wise enough or qualified enough to say, you're off track and we need to talk. A, a second sign of spiritual illness is when we desperately cling to faulty thoughts and practices because we're so comfortable with them. Jesus says the first step in moving to a spiritual health and strength is, is to say, Jesus, I, I'm wrong. Not, not many people are willing to say that these days. I, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm willing to turn around and, and go God's way instead. And, and I will fuel my heart and, and ambitions with the desire to eagerly pursue what God says is right. I, I choose not to go the easy way, but to follow the one who is called the only truth, the only life. The only way. I, I will eagerly wake up every morning from this point on and say before my feet touch the ground, I will be corrected. I will be trained by the one who dearly loves me and I will eagerly pursue him and all of his ways. Please, please let me point out, just in case you're feeling like I've got a stick in my hand. That's not true. But let me point out that this report is not given to a pastor so that he can rebuke and chastise his people. It's first spoken to the messenger, to the pastor, 
because he is the first to be corrected as the leader. How have you allowed this to happen? How have you allowed Jesus to be shoved out and shut out of his church? And then when the pastor is corrected, he's to release it to his people, to his church. How is it that you've not risen up and said, Pastor, we're, we're lost. Pastor, we're, we're missing the mark. We're miserable, blind, naked. We need to find our way back before God does something dramatic and spits us out, severs his connection with us. Church, being lukewarm is not an option. It's not a choice. It's not an identity that we can think is acceptable. Lukewarm is spiritually dangerous. Creating scenarios where, where things that God says are not acceptable become somehow acceptable in our world when we choose lukewarm. That's dangerous. To, to be disconnected from a church, to be a passive part of a, a social club disguised as a church, that's dangerous. If, if we allow the correction, if we repent and pursue God and his ways, then Jesus says in verse 20, when you've ceased your busyness and running around, you'll hear me knocking. And, and you'll allow me to come in. And when I come in, I'll reestablish connection with you individually as well as a church family. When I reconnect with you, I, I will eat with you. That's, that's a whole sermon in and of itself. But, but the most incredible work that God does is often pictured around a table of food in, in connection with his sons and daughters as a, as a family would sit down for a, for a meal. Gathered not just to nourish their body, but to share from their day, to ask for help in their struggles, to celebrate the victories and, and strengthen each other in the most wonderful and comfortable and accepting setting. You'll remember David says, you prepare a table with a feast on it, and it's set, in, set for me in the presence of my enemies. Jesus says, I'll come in and I'll, I'll sit down with you and we'll talk. If you open up, you, 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 if you conquer the problem of a divided, lukewarm heart, I will take you to a place where we, you and I, will rule. Remember the introduction? I'm the ruler of God's creation. If you open up, I'll take you and you'll sit with me and we will rule and we will reign. The creation of God forever. You'll move from lukewarm compromise where, where you set your eyes on keeping up with the Joneses and, and you'll live the God-given life that you were intended to live, the, the faith-filled, the exciting life. If you hear and listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to His church right here, right now, hear, He says, what the Spirit of God is saying to you for this moment in this time. I'm very interested in hearing what God says about our church and about our effectiveness. I, I, I'm very aware that he will talk to the pastor first. That's why I'm here in Revelation chapter 3 today. 
I, I love that when we worship, I feel the, the presence of Jesus in this place. I, I love that when we pray, I hear his voice. I feel the beat of his heart. I love that when we get together and we talk about what God is doing in your life and in your life and in my life, I'm excited, I'm encouraged by, by what I hear. However, if I can get Victoria to come to the keys and maybe just play that last song that you played before. However, When I know, when I know that only 5% of the people of my nation describe themselves as followers of Jesus, and that less than that would describe themselves as devoted followers of Jesus, and when that doesn't break my heart and cause me to stand before God like Isaiah and say, here am I, what do you want to do with me? Here am I, send me. It means that I've lost sight of the, the heartbeat of, of Christ that beats day and night with this rhythm. No one should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. When I hear that the church that Jesus gave his life for and has chosen to operate in and through is, is finding itself busy with activities that aren't even on his agenda. I feel very uncomfortable with that. When we say that we believe that he's the healer and that he's the same today as he was in New Testament times and yet we have a growing list of people that are seriously sick and no one is asking for the church to be open for more prayer so that we can get to the strategy of God for this time and this difficulty. I start to squirm. When, when we spend more time chasing the latest trends and arguments on the internet, looking for people who agree with me and my tribe and not listening to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church, I, I'm thinking that Jesus most likely has something he wants to say to me, say to you, say to us. According to the words of Jesus in Revelation chapter 3, there really are only two options. The first one is frozen apathy. Saul, the man from Tarsus, was ice cold to the gospel and to the lordship of Jesus when Stephen was put to death. He stood there and held men's coats so they could be free to lob rocks at the first martyr. Somehow, some way, that wasn't an obstacle to God. He, he was targeted by Jesus with grace and mercy and made a full and complete turnaround in the rest of his life. So God doesn't have a problem with ice-cold apathy. He prefers fervent, devoted passion. 
You, you can set a city on fire for God if you have a church that's ready and willing to obey to the point of death if need be. It's never a problem when you have all-powerful God and a fervent church. It's never a problem. The temperature that seems to be dangerous is lukewarm indifference where you have just enough understanding, you have just enough scripture, just enough religion to make you comfortable, complacent, but not enough to make you a living sacrifice. Lukewarm is the dangerous zone. Lukewarm. This was boiling still got a fair amount of steam. It's not as long a sermon as I thought it would be, but lukewarm doesn't refresh, doesn't heal, doesn't comfort anybody. I've preached this message to the best of my ability this morning. The next step is a personal one. What do I do with Revelation chapter 3 personally. How do I respond to it? Do I tuck it away as, as something that we heard at that time slot today and, and we go out and forget that we've said or heard or talked about anything? Or, or do we take it and, and, and do we invite Jesus to investigate the state of our heart, the the state of our church? Do, Do we listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and what he has to say to us here and and now? What what do we do with what we've heard this morning? The scripture says, I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking. What will your response be? Will you stand with me? Church, I I had this message ready three years ago. And I kept putting it back further and further. Because I know this, whatever we hear, we're responsible for. And I don't like putting responsibility on anybody that's not ready for it. But I do know this. I do know that God's got a heart for this house and God wants to do something extraordinary in this house that God wants to do something very powerful in us, to us, through us. That he's knocking at the door, but the response is ours. What do we do with that? Are we going to be his devoted people who are fervently, passionately following both his word and his voice? Or do we just meet together, greet one another, how you doing? Good to see you. 
have a good week. We're called to turn a city upside down for the cost. I want to pray for you this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, I know that you've brought us together for this time. I feel like Esther. We've been brought to the kingdom for this time. That, God, you've got something big, something significant, something meaningful for us. That, Father, the thing that you want us to be careful of is not to be lukewarm, but to be fervently, passionately, hot in our pursuit for you. Father, I stand here as the, the pastor, as the leader of this house, and I say, God, you deal with my heart. Everything that, that drags the temperature down, will you take it out? Everything that looks like compromise to you, will you remove it? Everything that hinders what you want to do in this house, in this people, remove it from me. I want to present myself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable in your sight, willing and ready to go and to do whatever you ask, whatever you require. Find my heart open. But Father, I pray for my house, for my people. I pray, God, that there would be a spiritual hunger that they can't deny or ignore. I pray that the eyes of their understanding would be open, just as Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. I pray that their hearts would be hungry, for blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will find satisfaction. I pray that their hands would find the work that you have them to do and that they would be busy doing what you've called them to do. I pray that their feet would run to you. I pray that their hearts would be set aflame for you. Father, it's first of all a personal decision. How much are we willing to do? How much are we willing to give? How much are we willing to yield? It seems that in every season you bring us as a church to, to a place, to a line in the sand. Is, is this as far as you're going to be willing to go or are you willing to take one more step? I pray that in this house you'd find us willing to take one more step. And then, Father, I pray that you would allow us to encourage, provoke, prod one another to greater works of of service, of life, of, of surrender. So that when we come together, this, this atmosphere, this house would be, would be passionately hot and on fire for you. God, I pray that we'd carve out time this week just to sit quietly and listen to your voice, to your assessment as to what we need to do next, where we need to go. Father, my heart wants to just lay hands on people right now. But I'm praying that in this week that is ahead, there'll be those moments where the door is closed to all the distractions so that we can hear your voice and we can respond. Never let it be said of this house that we were lukewarm, but that we were devoted heart, mind, soul, treasure, time. It was all devoted to you. We pray it in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen.